So I'm here with uh, Father Jeffrey Kirby, and we're discussing his book, Real Religion, How to Avoid False Faith and Worship God in Spirit and Truth. Father Jeffrey Kirby, welcome to the Way of Beauty podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yes. Yeah, we were just saying it probably over a year since we've, we've spoken. Okay, so um, I enjoyed this book tremendously it's quite short was it 100 170 pages something like that published by uh, catholic answers press and it's really broken down into five sections one is what religion ought to be and then the the next four chapters really are describing what what it uh, what it shouldn't be which it seems to have become uh, for many people. So why don't you just describe in your own words uh, what your thinking was behind the writing of this book yes. um, and your experiences that led to you, your your feeling that this was needed. I, I, I think it is needed. I think it's very important what you produce. But just tell us your what led to the creation of yes. it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so thank you. I, I think that, you know, I've been a priest now for almost uh, 14 years, and, and through the duration of, of my priestly ministry, there have just been so many different situations or encounters where oftentimes people have proposed things for worship or about religion or religious observance, uh, ideas about God even. And oftentimes, because they're so uh, momentary or in passing situations or, or because they're just completely caught off guard by the person's claim or assertion, that I was never satisfied with the explanation I was able to give. And over the course of time, you know, it was always in the back of my mind over the past couple of years, I need to just sit down, make the time to come up with a digestible, easy to read, understanding of what I'm trying to say, like, why am I getting frustrated or why am I shocked or why am I sometimes, uh, you know, unable to speak even because I don't even know where to start in terms of what, what the person has said. So in some sense, um, the book started as my own effort to kind of formalize these thoughts in my own mind, right? Because you have know, studied philosophy and theology and various things, uh, history, you know, there's a lot of bringing to the table that in fairness, uh, the other person was not. And so I just thought, well, what, what am I trying to say? What, what's the point here? And then, of course, trying to present that in such a way where someone who comes from a different experience, from a different perspective can try to begin to understand. So I, I use the term, you know, digestible, that the person could say, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Oh, that's what you were trying to say. That's why that, that caught you off guard. So very much it was an attempt to explain religion, worship, uh, in general, in terms of our human nature, then specifically from the perspective of, of the scriptures. Right. I, I recognize that process, actually. Um, I always think of myself that I'm, I'm not very good at thinking on my feet. The first time I'm, at, I, I'm asked a question, I, I, I'm rather slow and methodical. Like I never, and I'm always thinking ten minutes later what I should have said. Yes. But then, yes. then I, then I think it through, and I'm just waiting for the second person to ask me the question. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I recognise that process uh, in the way that I think. So let's just focus then on the first chapter, and it's called The Tenets of Biblical Religion. And when I read through this, um, it, 
it, it made me think initially, this is going to be uh, an argument for scripture and the Bible. And, and they go, hang on, this is a Catholic who's writing this. What's going on here? Um, and then what you do is you start to talk about the virtue of religion and connecting that to the Bible and talking about what true religion is. So um, I'm just giving you my impression. So why don't you describe yes. how, that chapter to us? Um, yes. And then I might come back with some follow-up questions. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so I think with uh, the first chapter and, and even from the title, uh, people can immediately be caught off guard. Uh, the, the main title being real religion and, and the argument being, well, wait a minute, you know, who do you think you are, right? To, to assert that anything is real, uh, let alone religion, right? That this is a, a real religion. And, and yet that, that claim is made in the book. And, and then chapter one develops that. So, you know, draws from, you know, our human experience, it draws from the scriptures, it draws from sacred tradition, a lot of St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas are there uh, in uh, digestible form. Mm -hmm. But very much, I think if we were to try to describe it in general, uh, because it was written for, for believers, for, for Christians, the arguments can be used for anyone, of course, but to believers in particular, I guess we would say is maybe a work of the new evangelization, which is you know, those who are already baptized, who are Christian, but yet don't fully understand what that means. So we could say that, you know, there's a, a post-baptismal catechumenate that has to happen, that those who received baptism have to be, in a sense, uh, taught or moved towards a deeper understanding of what that means. And that has to start with worship. If we don't get worship right, nothing is right. Mm -hmm. like it's all off. It's, the, the balance is, is off. The, the bearings are, are, are not consistent. So just the idea of what, for the believer, is real religion? What does it mean to worship God? And the main enemy of real religion is self-worship, right? I mean, it goes back to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. I mean, you know, to think that our will or our desires or our emotional fulfillment is greater than uh, the worship of God, or that even the worship of God should somehow be in service to our subjective satisfaction, right? Or, or to what I want, right? And, and this ultimately becomes the battle. So uh, similar people have also said, oh, I thought this was going to be a book about, you know, Christianity versus Buddhism or Islam or something. But no, this is actually something more of the heart and very much, right? It's the battle in the heart between, am I going to worship God or am I going to worship myself? And even those of us who are trying, you know, this is the self-worship is, is the gas we breathe. Like it's there even when we don't realize it, Right that we constantly want to make this about us. We constantly want to be the standard of, of existence. And so hopefully with this book, by drawing upon you know, the sources of revelation, by drawing upon our spiritual tradition, we can begin to understand what really it means to worship God in spirit and truth. Right. Uh, the thing that occurred to me as you were speaking is that what you're describing is not so much the denial of uh, the existence of God, or even his power or his omnipotence, you know, in principle, but it's an inversion of the of the the hierarchy of being. It's saying that 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 he exists, he can do all these things, but he's there to serve me. That it, um, right. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's having the best uh, handyman ever. Like the, yeah. I, I call it one place the divine or the um life coach from on high, right? You know, that this all, all powerful God. Uh, okay, fine. Sure. But yes, he must be in service to me. He must serve some purpose for me. He must give me some type of emotional euphoria. Otherwise 
what's the point? Why would he, why would I even have this God thing in my life? Yes. Okay. Now, so let's, let's come back to this idea of worship, um, which is uh, a virtue. Um, yeah. and, and, it, and this is the virtue of religion, um, which I, I have to say, I've been talking about the liturgy for years, and I hadn't heard of the virtue of religion until <laughs> very recently described in that way. I mean, some of it I was aware of in other terms, of course. But, um, but it was actually a Dominican who was telling me about this and saying, St. Thomas says the virtue of, the re- of religion is the highest virtue. And it sits above the seven cardinal virtues. Yes, it called? yes. okay. So t- tell us about that and... and um, and then also, after that, it's connection to the Bible, coming to the, the, um, the, the, the title of this chapter. Yes, yes. So, you know, in our tradition, we replace the virtue of religion uh, within the context of the virtue of justice. And, mm-hmm. and like many people, when they first hear this term, virtue of religion, uh, many have not heard it at all, right? And, and, and yet it's in our tradition. And when they hear it, it almost catches them off guard. And, and in some cases, the immediate response has been, well, wait a minute, when you say it like that, it makes it sound like it's something we're supposed to do. <laughs> you know? It's like, well, yes, as human beings, we are hardwired for worship. And so it's a virtue of religion. If we want to fulfill our vocation as human beings, then we're called to worship, to acknowledge God. So the virtue of religion is placed within the virtue of justice. And justice is, is giving God, giving, excuse me, justice is giving another person their due. So that can have a punitive uh, perspective. So if someone causes harm, there should be some type of penalty or discipline. But we forget that justice has a positive expression. So for example, someone works for me, they should receive a just compensation. So justice can be expressed in a punitive or, or a positive way. Right. We give another person their due. So the virtue of religion place within justice is to give God his due. So when I worship God, I'm giving him his due. Now, here's the part that's powerful in our world today. We see all these social movements for justice, gender equality, racial equality, all these are are, are, uh, born from a sense of goodwill, at least in, in the vast majority of their expressions. And yet there's this attempt to have this justice in our society without fulfilling the justice given to God. So we try to have justice with one another, which means we redefine it, inverse it. We use justice as a weapon even, but we have to understand is once we get God, the the worship of God, we give him his justice. Then suddenly, once we begin to say, well, who am I? I stand before a God that that I owe a debt that I cannot pay. Um, Once I begin to do that, then I begin to realize, hey, I owe a justice to my neighbor as well, right? So by putting God first, not only do we fulfill that sense of justice, but we're also then convicted and empowered to give justice to our neighbor. Yes. Um, I, as, as you were speaking there, I was thinking of, uh, again, this same Dominican, who's a friend of mine, who told me about the virtue of religion. He, he also mentioned then this hierarchy of loves which has Mm. which and and again this was surprising to me but i think it speaks to what you're saying god first and that that's that is clear we love god before anything else then self then neighbor and then our bodies in other words our our sort of uh, temporal needs as distinct from the the needs of the whole person should we so he says includes the spiritual so 
we'll, we'll get, I'm going to ask you to sort of summarize the four next chapters, which actually focus on the, these sort of misdirection of religion. Yeah. But I'm going to say that uh, the paradox here is that if you want these things for yourself, that we get these in greater abundance in the in the terms that we desire them in, in the terms yes. that everybody desires them by putting God first. So it's, it really is a case of seek ye first the the kingdom of God and Amen. all these yes. things will be added to you. And it's legitimate to want to be happy. It's legitimate to want justice, to have a you describe the person who had this sort of pattern of living that in, you know, he had his prayer life, he went to the gym, he had nutrition. All that is great, actually, but it has to be ordered to the highest good. And yeah. then everything just falls. It's an overwhelming, uh, overflowing fountain of goodness that just um, comes onto us. Yeah. So, um, but just I'd just like you to react to what I've said, just correctly. <laughs> I made any mistakes, but then let's go through the four next chapter, the four chapters, um, in the light of that, if that's correct. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think you've you've gotten it um, spot on, and you know it comes back to uh, as you describe putting uh, the things of God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and, and and not using God in order to get some temporal blessing. You know, so Teresa of Avila says that we worship the God of consolation, not the consolations of God. So you have to be careful that the effect doesn't become the object of worship. Yes. So, okay, um, yeah, if I, you know, follow God, if I worship God, I obey God, then I, I can receive these blessings. Well, I want these blessings. I'm just going to use God, almost like ripping the heart out of worship in order to use even worship, a transcendental act in a utilitarian way. This is what I want. What's, what's the bottom line? And that becomes, again, just self-worship, because in the end, it has very little to do with God, if anything, uh, or transcendence, or desire for love, and it becomes just about me, right? This type, again, self-worship. Mm. So let's go to the, the first, or the, or the second chapter, the one after you set out in the first, this um, highest, the pinnacle of virtue, which is virtue of religion. Um, and then you say, you, the next chapter is called When Religion Becomes Sentiment. Yes. Uh, yes. And so tell me about that. I, I'm British and you know, we, we're all stiff upper lip. And, and, and basically, <laughs> I, I, my temperament is, is not to be inclined in that way uh, naturally, I think. But, but um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'd probably chase wrong sentiment some of the time. So, so speak to that title, when religion becomes sentiment. Yeah, so first I want to start by saying that, you know, um, our tradition is not opposed to the emotions or to sentiment, not at all. In fact, yeah. uh, properly ordered, it can actually be very vibrant. It could lead to great creativity, uh, to an empowerment of virtue. It can allow mm -hmm. us to persevere in goodness. So, yeah. you know, emotion sentiment of itself is, is not an enemy, not at all. Yeah. It's just when we turn it into this pseudo God, where suddenly everything becomes sentiment. Like, for example, I tell a story of one person who heard from everyone. Oh, I go to, went to confession. Oh, I felt like just such a weight taken, taken off my chest and so on. Well, when they went to confession, they didn't have that emotional experience. And their conclusion was, what's the point? If I don't feel better, if I don't somehow have this euphoria, then why would I do that? So the object of reality, because your sins are removed, right? But I don't feel it. What's the point, right? 
This is when we start hitting difficulty, when again, the sentiment becomes the standard, you know, rather than, you know, in some aspects, the reward, right, which we can't expect. So I wanted to start with that, 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 you know, sentiment is not an enemy. In fact, we would say in our tradition that sentiment or the emotions, like they have no moral identity. They, they assume this moral status, depending on what we do with them, right? So if I have anger, I can use it in a great way. I can use it for justice. I can use it for greater charity. I can use it for even selfless charity, or I can use that anger in order to be belligerent or impatient or unkind, right? That anger of itself has no moral status. It's what I do with it. And again, we, the positive emotions, we love it. I love euphoria. I love feeling great. I love yeah. when I do good and I feel good. good. Yeah, yeah. But, but when the feeling good becomes the standard of doing good, especially in terms of worship, then we have problems because what then are we ultimately worshiping? Is it really God or are we just looking for that next emotional high? Yeah. I, I heard someone in another context say uh, they were classifying people um, in relationships, actually, sort of people relating to each other. And then they were saying that some people uh, will do good in order to feel good and mm. others need to feel good in order to do good. And um, m- my feeling is that the that if we do good, including confession, ultimately we will feel better. There, there is a happiness on offer, but it's not this sort of superficial cause and effect um, that, that is that is akin to taking a pill or something like that or having a drink. It, yeah. it's, it, it's something that works more deeply and more permanently, I would say, if, if it's maintained. But it is... Uh, it, it's not if I'm seeking a superficial or a temporary t- sort of happiness, I might be disappointed. I might not be, um, but I do what's right regardless. When I yes, believe yes. that that reward is there ultimately, I would say yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I think too, like you know, in terms of worship or when it comes to you know mm-hmm. giving what Saint Paul calls the obedience of faith. You know, if, if we just make it about our sentiment, there are going to be times in our life when we just don't feel like it. Yeah. Like just, you know, the emotional um, response is just, is just not there. And the danger is that we can say, well, then I'm not going to do it. But if we look at our spiritual tradition, the purgative way, which is precisely when the emotions uh, are not uh, consoled, that the purgative way is one of the fastest way to grow in the spiritual life when we're actually purified by by our self-love uh, by god's grace and, and and that happens by the removal of all these consolations right so god it's, as the spiritual masters would say uh, purges us of self-love where eventually we love god for himself right so yeah. there's no benefit right to worshiping god other than the fact that he is god and i love him mm-hmm. so ultimately like in this life as we try to do that and again the emotions are wonderful but there will be times when they're just not there. And, and the danger is that once we don't feel like it, then do we stop? Do we stop serving the poor because we don't get that you know, warm feeling? Do we mm-hmm. stop praying because we don't feel that consolation? So you know, we have to just be very cautious. The sentiments are, 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 uh, can be a blessing. They're not an enemy, but they cannot be the standard of what we are doing or how we are loving or certainly how we worship. Mm. I, I, I thought I'd describe... Um... I don't know how much of this I've told you in the past, what led to my conversion, actually. So this is over 30 years ago now. So I was drawn in. I met someone who offered me a set of 
exercises. I didn't even know they were spiritual exercises. I was an atheist. But basically, I wanted to be an artist. And he said, I think I can show you a way to be an artist. And he said, the catch here is that it, it is spiritual. It involves you praying. Um, and I'd seen the effect this has had on other people. So I thought I'll do it. So my motivation was exactly what you, you're saying it shouldn't have been. Okay. <laughs> but the things that he gave me to do were all participating in this higher end and ultimately led to my worship of God. And what happened to me was that I was drawn in by this, but very quickly I realized that the means was the end, that it was the greatest mm. reward. And and he didn't um, hide that from me once we got going. You know, he's, he said that this... You, you know, you, we learn to rely on God, and he's and what he said to me was, even if you get you become an artist in the future, unless you're relying on God for this, you, that's not going to make you happy. It, you mm. need it. It's what's going to make you happy is living in today, and the the, the it's this journey that um, with God's help that is the mm. source of happiness. So he very quickly introduced these ideas to me, even as an atheist. What convinced me, though, was that there was a change. And so I'm going to suggest that all those that sort of superficial sentiment, it might be there, it might not be. But there was a deeper conviction that somehow, and I could, I, I would struggle to characterize it, this is good. The, the, there's something mm -hmm. good here. So at a deeper level, maybe than I'd ever been used to being in touch with, you know, frankly, mm -hmm. before, th th there was something deeper and more solid. But yeah. but I would say it was happiness. You know, it was it was the seeds of happiness as well. But it was it was certainly you wouldn't call it sentiment either. Um, right. And so I'm, I'm just, what's your, do you have a, a response to that or, or any thought about that? Yes, no, I think, you know, um, in our spiritual tradition, we talk about the, the preambles that oftentimes come, you know, that they're there that, that lead us to faith. And right. oftentimes it can be the, the, the blessings or the spiritual uh, consolations that will lead us. And, and similar to the director you had is, is then to guide the soul to a greater understanding of, of what this is about, what, what ultimately God is offering. Uh, the, the problem, unfortunately, is that a lot of people don't receive that type of guidance. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of get stuck in that, that's, and, and that first part. And then they start thinking that that's the standard. Yes, you know? yes. And, and something else is wrong, you know? So, and then when they stop feeling that, then they start thinking that there's something wrong with God or with yes. the, you know, the, 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 message of salvation or, you know, whatever it might be. And that's, I think, a lot of times people get stuck, whereas the, the point is, sure, if that's what initially attracts, like, um, then wonderful, but then to then be guided to a type of uh, maturing of spirit, you know, yes. especially in terms of worship or, or prayer. It's, it's interesting. There was somebody who was uh, – under the, the, the same influence of this guy, and he decided that he'd just pray for a beautiful wife and lots of money. And much to my, uh, well, I was extremely envious of him and jealous. <laughs> Basically, he got, he got them. Um, oh, did he? Oh, wow. Okay. He did. He actually got them. And, of course, he was just then utterly convinced by the power of this. But what's mm. interesting is that when I see him now, that's still the standard by which he measures yeah. its goodness, you see. Yeah. Um, and so, in a way, 
I just think if I still think I could have stood the test, you know, it, God, you know, t- try me out, give me yes, a yes. beautiful wife and lots of money. And I think I'll, I'll stick with, but um, probably it was to my a blessing for me that I was denied those things actually um, yes. at that time, because it yes. made me, I, I still felt there was something good, but it made me search for something deeper. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and to that point, oftentimes when, uh, when we receive the temporal blessings, so, uh, which, which sometimes God will give, right? But oftentimes what can happen is we forget the blessings that virtue is or redemptive suffering yeah. or these other areas where, that are just as much blessings as temporal prosperity. Mm. So times in which we'll ask God for a blessing, great money, a, you know, a, a beautiful wife, a, a, a nice home, a success in a career and so on. And, and God will say no. And then instead he gives a, a virtue and if our standard is no just temporal prosperity, then we are yeah. like we, we almost feel cheated. I don't want that virtue. I want these other things. <laughs> you know, from the divine perspective, the virtue is the greater gift. Right? Yes, yes. So, so yes, and is a deeper happiness. I, I would say, I, I, um, from my own, I'm talking now just exclusive my my own experience that that's it, it is worth having that greater blessing. Um, so let's then move on to the. Uh, the chapter after that. So we have when religion becomes self-help. Yeah. Okay. This is a massive industry. Uh, <laughs> with lots yes. of money in this. <laughs> oh, yes. And yeah. I think yoga now is a billion dollar industry. Okay. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone wants to be better. And as you said earlier, that that is not a bad thing. That, that's yeah. wonderful to to seek self-improvement, to, uh, to become a, a better person and uh, take care of our health and, and so on. All that's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. But when God simply becomes, you know, a higher power, or uh, I use the term this life coach from on high, as if God himself simply becomes a means for me to receive something. So I, I want to stop a bad habit, or I want to, you know, look better, I want to lose weight or something. And I merely use God and worship. Mm-hmm in order to accomplish solely this temporal blessing. Uh, that, that's a type of self-worship. Like that is inversing everything uh, in, in the complete, <laughs> uh, in, in a way that is completely foreign to what it is, is meant to be, like why these gifts are given. Uh, They're inversed in order to simply get what I want. Uh, and again, this is, I feel very, I think it's very important and I feel very compelled that in the book, we, we start naming these things. And that is self-worship, right? It's, yeah. it's acknowledging the name of God. It's acknowledging worship to some extent, but it's all about the person. It's all about yeah. me, right? So this type of, again, like self-worship, uh, uh, self-focus. Yes. And th- I suppose some might then come back and say, well, actually, I'd rather, I'd prefer the self-help version, you know, <laughs> and, yes. and my answer to that would be you're doing yourself down because actually what Christianity offers is even greater than that. It, it is the, yes. the happiness that why do you want to be able to have these flexible limbs and all of this sort of thing? <laughs> it, yes. Ultimately, it's because we believe that that corresponds to some sort of pattern of living that will make us happy. Yes. And the answer is, well, it may. But ultimately, that happy, happiness you seek is what Christianity is offering. And all these things can be ordered to that. So it's yes. Christianity 
offers something that is much better than that. However good yoga might be, but I'm not going to deny that, Christianity is even better. This, yes. to me, is the selling point. And, yes. uh, and I don't think that's stated enough. Um, yes, yes. And I think just the, you know, the idea that, you know, in, in worship of the living God, uh, there mm. is uh, an irresistibility that comes with that, that, mm. you know, when we uh, begin to drink from the fountain of, of the living water, uh, everything else pales in comparison, right? Yes. It's irresistible, right? But the task is to get there and to drink that initial water and to say, yes, like this, this is what, you know, this is what I've been looking for, right? So it's kind of like the person who is um, hung, who doesn't think they're hungry until they smell the food, yeah. right? So, so oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. I walk in, mm, that smells good, <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and you know, I think in, in many respects, the wake up, to real religion and to authentic worship, it, it has to begin that way. And sometimes it, it starts in, in different forms and it can become this type of self-help. And eventually uh, maybe that self-help will lead us. So someone is working on, you know, mm. you know uh, self-focused meditation or something. And, and suddenly uh, they do begin to experience aspects of the spiritual life and say, wait a minute, like this is, there's something here. And, and I know there's something greater, but I don't know how to get there. And then eventually the person is called out of themselves and begins to realize and to experience authentic worship. And, and that again becomes irresistible because when you have the fullness and the authentic yeah. real religion, nothing else can compete with it. But our task, our task is to help ourselves and other people to experience that, yeah. to, to drink that water, to, to taste that food. I, yes. I, see, I think there's a route here through all of these errors. I, I think there's a route to evangelization that um, because people at least are searching for something good. But what we have to do is, 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 as you said, recognize that once people come in for that, we've got to be able to show them that there's something much, much better. Um, yeah. that's that what they're yearning for is something even, even greater. And yeah. it's something that's underutilized, I think, in, in sort of Christian evangelization at the moment. Um, well, especially when you have so many different versions of Christianity yes. and some of the more popular versions, um, these mega church movements yeah, and yeah, so yeah. on, um, not only stay in that first part of temporal yes. prosperity, temporal blessing, yeah. they, uh, they, uh, you know, rely on it. They, they exaggerate it. They, I mean, this, this becomes, you know, this, this whole movement. So when someone thinks of Christianity, they're more inclined to think of a health and wealth gospel preacher, supposed gospel preacher, than the basic Christian message of carrying cross, forgiving our neighbors, serving the poor, and and praying, right? So, <laughs> and when you compare it with the health and wealth gospel with this prosperity that we want, and then the counter message becomes one of, of self-denial or a death to self, uh, you know, it, it the, the irresistibility of the authentic message becomes overshadowed, eclipsed, uh, by this um, a caricature of what religion is supposed to be. Mm. So uh, yeah, so it's just as you were speaking, it's a that idea of um, we don't know how good it is until we ex see it, shall we say? Um, yes. Because, and I, I think of my own experiences in my my conversion. I, I 
Um, the only good I could imagine was the absence of bad. Um, <laughs> because, and, and there's a Doors song that, you know, I've been down for so long that it feels like up to me. The Doors, by the way, for anyone who's of a different generation, this 60s American band <laughs> probably realised I had to explain that. Anyway, <laughs> but the, 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 I've, I've been down for so long that it feels like up to me. And in a way, I was a bit like that. The best I could imagine was the absence of what was making me unhappy. The, the idea that there's something that is good in itself that can go, go beyond that, I couldn't imagine that mm. at all. And, it, and, and I only get insights into that through the faith. This is, um, this is what's um, opened my eyes to what is on offer here that is so good, and yet it's the biggest secret we have, it seems, sadly. Yes, yes. and you can imagine that you know, this was the message that was given to the early Christians, yeah. the message that led them uh, to the ability to sing while they're about to be eaten by lions. Well, I know. Yeah. Yes. You know, so, I mean, yeah. you can just imagine like the height of, of, of fear and anxiety or abandonment. And yet in that moment, uh, not simply to endure, but to be uh, more than conquerors, as St. Paul says, and, and to sing right yes. in the face of, of lions. Like what, what gives that type of, uh, fortitude or that type of, of spirit. And, and it's, and it's tapping into that irresistibility of God to know that this life will lead to eternal happiness. Uh, this life, right. all that we have done, all that we have sought to do is preparing us for an even greater homeland that we will be able to participate in. And so it's both appreciating the here and now, but also knowing that there's mm. an eternity that awaits us. And that hope in the future is is a consolation in the present, which is deep. I would say it's it's very deep, as you describe. Um, okay, when religion becomes a commodity, tell yes. us about that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness! You know the opening story of that has has really provoked uh, yeah. several people uh, have reached out about that opening story about the young couple that, that they came to see me and they have this whole list of questions and, and, you know, they were new in the area and I just thought, oh, okay, they're kind of curious in terms of what our parish life looks like and so on. And, and I realized halfway through that I was being interviewed, right. Uh, to see whether or not our community measured up to what they want to do our services or our programs measure up to what they want. Right. And, and, and regrettably, there were no questions about discipleship or orthodox preaching or the spiritual life. It was all, you know, mm. do you have this kid's program? Do you have this family program? Do you provide this? It was all about the social. It was all about, uh, again, this type of commodity of, of, of human needs and no sense of we should be looking for our place of worship as a place of prayer, of, of right preaching, of you know, spirituality, of theological worldview, and so on. None of that was there, none of that, you know. And, and again, this becomes a commodity. Does this message, does the call to real religion measure up to what I need or what I want, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, the height of this is, is the prosperity gospel that, that I was mentioning, you know, the, yeah. the health and wealth gospel, that if you, if you worship God, if you have the right faith, which I think is so spiritually irresponsible for anyone to preach or teach right yeah but somehow god's blessings are contingent upon our faith right especially when it comes to physical healing or well-being but we hear this right it's very mm. popular these people are very popular yeah. right this prosperity gospel health and wealth gospel and and, and, a, and a kind of pseudo version of that 
uh, is this movement of the, the best version of myself, right? Which definitely has to be kind of dissected. We have to be really careful because, you know, the, the, the call to self-worship is seductive, right? I mean, we, we live in ourselves. We are ourselves, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're inclined to it and oftentimes can find ourselves in aspects of self-worship before we even realize it. And, and again, shocked even at our, our own fallenness as we begin to detect indications that, you know, there's more self-worship in our heart than what we thought. Yes, I, I saw a, a talk by a diocesan, um, oh, oh gosh, the, the name, the, the people who uh, get rid of de- uh, possession. Oh, exorcists. Yeah. Like the word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it was very interesting. This was a, a, a guy, he, not a traditionalist, not normally the sort of priest that I would be going to hear, but he he just said he'd ended up in this and was talking in a very matter-of-fact way about what he'd seen and experienced during the exorcism and the reality of possession and the devil. And he, you know, no doubt about this in his mind whatsoever. And he was very... Um, mm sort of somber stories, really. And I asked him the question, why would anyone be attracted to this? What, 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 given this is the devil who's evil incarnate, should we say? Yeah, right, what, right. Why, why would some, and, and what he said is, well, they've lost faith in God to give them what they want. And, and so they, they think that the, the devil can manipulate things to give them what they're yeah. seeking. Yes, and yes. so it, it is actually an expression of self-worship. Um, and uh, I, I was really struck by that, that the first step in that is to, to, to try to get God to give me what I want um, yes. or, or to be dependent on that. I, and again, it's, it's, it's nuanced, isn't it? Because we can ask yes. for things, we want things, and, and inevitably, part of the time, I'm going to be asking for things that are no good for me. And so, uh, we're all, I mean, I imagine we all do that. But um, ultimately, there's the realization that God knows best and what I get is good for me uh, if I'm just giving it my best shot to recognize his place in, in, these, yes. in this. So yes. I, I'm very moved um, in the story you tell, you, you've shared, because you know, for the exorcist to identify that, it, you know, uh, this movement to self-worship was, was a, a loss of faith, you know, in, in terms of, you know, God cannot provide, God will not give what I need, or, or in some yes. cases, what, what I want. And, you know, in, in part of the book, I talk about this kind of history of biblical worship. And if we just take this principle and apply it to a context in the scriptures, like King Saul, uh, he, he's there, he, he's waiting for Samuel, who is a Levite, mm-hmm. so a prophet and Levite who could offer worship. He's, he's waiting for Samuel to come. Samuel is delayed uh, to the last hour. I mean, eventually he arrives, like at the very last, you know, but, but Saul doesn't know that. Saul's waiting and waiting and waiting. The Philistines are overrunning the border. His own military is abandoning him. He doesn't know what to do. And so Saul, we would think, is doing the right thing. Ha ha. He begins to offer the worship himself. He offers the sacrifice. He's of the okay. tribe of Benjamin. He's not a priest. Yeah. He offers the worship. And we can look at that and say, well, but didn't he do the right thing? Because he was trying to worship God, ask God's blessings in the midst of this hardship. But if we put on the biblical perspective, we begin to realize 
Saul fell into exactly what this exorcist is describing. Saul failed to have the faith. He lost faith that God would come through. Mm. And even as the Philistines are overrunning the border, his military is abandoning him. He's waiting for the prophet. He decides, I'm going to fix this. I will abandon and violate God's ceremonial law. I will do what I need to do. I will do whatever I think is right. And therefore, I'm going to fix this. So it looks like you said the, the you know, uh, the um, slyness and, and, and the kind of a nuance that's there, right? We can look at it and say, but didn't Saul do the right thing? Mm. No, right? <laughs> the right thing would have been to obey and to wait and to yes. rely on, on God to, to reinforce that faith. And of course, what happens, Samuel does arrive at the last hour. It, it was there. Samuel would have offered the sacrifice. There would have been victory over the Philistines, but Saul gave up on God. We could say he gave up really on himself. And he decides, I'm going to fix this. Right. I think that's what we see in our contemporary world a lot of times, whether it's with the New Age movement or whether yeah. it's with the self-help obsession, whether it's with the commodity and this prosperity gospels, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to help God to give me what I want, right? Mm, yeah. and, and, and God can't come through. You can't trust him. So I'm just going to do it myself. And, and, and again, it didn't work for Saul. He lost his kingdom over that. And sadly, I think a lot of people are losing the kingdom that God wants to bestow, the blessings he wants to bestow over this type of, of hubris. Mm. Okay, that's terrific. That, let's come to the, uh, the fourth of these arrows, when religion becomes social activism, very topical at the moment mm. in the news, I would say. Uh, but yeah, perhaps if you just speak to that. Um, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah we, we are constantly wanting to build our own kingdoms. Uh, so we go all the way back to the book of Genesis early on, to the, the building of the Tower of Babel. So we can talk about our first parents in Eden, but then later the human family doesn't learn. We attempt to build a tower in order to reach God and, and, and to take his majesty as our own. And I love the biblical narrative because it says, after all this effort to build this tower, the scriptures say God went down to them, right? Which means we weren't even close. Right? <laughs> you know, we thought, you know, we thought we'd accomplish something and would, you know, dethrone God and, and, and we're unsuccessful. And so oftentimes in our world, we try to build our own kingdom. We try to, again, uh, fix things ourselves. And, and we find that in social movements, right? Uh, yeah. It's good to care about the environment. It's good to want gender equality. It's good to want a racial tranquility. All these are, are, are good but they cannot be accomplished unless we turn first to God because we do not have the power to change the world, right? Pope Benedict XVI, uh, in his first encyclical, God is love. In the second part, he says clearly, uh, it is a hubris to say or to think that we can change the world. Oftentimes we say that we worry about the world that we don't care about the person right in front of us. Our mm -hmm. task is to be the hands, the feet, to the person in front of us, the person that God's providence has put in front of us. And by taking care of that person, by providing for this person, both spiritually and physically, in terms of their material needs, then God's grace can change the world, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than, you know, allowing this kind of pseudo religion and this, uh, again, self-worship that, you know, we're going to build the kingdom, we're going to make the world a better place. Like uh, this, this is a hubris we find throughout the scriptures and, and constantly, not only do we lose God, we lose ourselves and such kingdoms, if they even get built, are quickly destroyed. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I became aware of this. Um, so critical theory, which um, yes. is really promoting this, is actually Marxist 
theory. It's a modern manifestation of it. And its goal is not is not actually uh, it, well in the long run. I suppose its goal is the removal of injustice. But quite how they get there, they can't explain. They, they, but it's really the destruction of current society, and then supposedly, miraculously, out of the ashes. They never explain how the new society will appear. Um, and um, what's interesting is that um, th they. The way that they motivate people in the name of good is to is to increase indignation, increase anger. They promote conflict because they think this is going to to usher in the new the new age. And it's a um, all the, the the great success they have is in a, in its appeal is that people believe that it's doing good. Who, who's going to be against racial injustice, for example? Right. Um, but what is in a way, I don't, and, and it's that desire for for the for justice occupies occupies a place in our hearts that can be so deep that it, if we're not careful, it can displace the, the love of God. I mean, yes, it's that yes. deep. It, it's it's yes. a narrative that's accepted on faith rather than on evidence. Really, yes, that sort of level. Yes, very um, much. And and I would say, in in some ways, I can excuse shall we say the atheists <laughs> for for reaching for this i don't think they're right but um the danger i, I mean what is that you know christians beware if you mm. chase this it's incompatible with the christian faith and it will yeah. somewhere along the way there will be a conflict and you're going to have to make the choice between that and that happened to to me i i, I come from britain where even the right wing is a left wing shall we say uh, and especially uh, from Liverpool, where I come from, it's just a you know that all this that sort of language is a standard. In fact, they were good old-fashioned Marxists. It was all about the class struggle rather than race. Um, but pretty much everybody subscribed to it. Even after my conversion, I didn't feel that I had to reject that. I just felt well, I can integrate that. Um, and then it was the realization. That actually, that this was incompatible. I faced. Uh, I realized that it was just a lie, um, and that uh, the means by which they were seeking this was so uh, against the Christian faith that if I pursued it, I would cease to be Christian. That, that um, and unfortunately, uh, the, it, this has infiltrated the, the Christian churches, including the, the Catholic Church. I would yes. say in many cases. And it, it is um, it is a great danger, I would say. Yes, yes. And, and, and to your point, it, it ultimately uh, removes God. Uh, there's no need for him. We think that yes. we can do this ourselves. And it violates justice by imposing upon society a corporate exercise of justice. And anytime you speak of a corporate exercise of justice, immediately it's an injustice. Yes. You cannot impose it corporately in a communal fashion. I cannot say simply because you belong to a particular race or you don't belong to a particular race, therefore you are a racist or you're a part of the problem, right? And that's a violation of justice. So uh, as we've been saying throughout our, our time together, it, you know, these movements, they inverse the good. Yes. Like you see the seduction, right? Yes. And they inverse it in order to appeal to people of goodwill. Because as you say, who would be opposed to racial equality or gender equality? And this is how good people uh, can oftentimes be tricked 
and they yeah. find themselves being sympathetic to these movements that are actually very destructive and very hurtful to the common good, but certainly to organized religion and, and to right worship. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. critical theory hates two things, organized religion and a democratic republic. And these Marxist movements, uh, the critical theory was established in order to enter into, cause needless tension, and ultimately the implosion of democratic republics and organized religion. The irony of this is we see this historically. <laughs> this yeah. is, you know, uh, and to your point is the idea that this will all happen and then from the ashes, this new heavenly, earthly, I should say, earthly kingdom, earthly uh, Jerusalem will ascend as the you know, earthly kingdom of God, uh, which has never happened historically, right? In fact, yeah. millions have died. Uh, society has been in utter chaos. And oftentimes there's nothing after the ashes. Well, <coughs> we saw that in the center of Seattle. Was it Chaz or Chad or whatever it, whatever it yeah. was? I mean, in that those few blocks, they achieved what 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 they said was going to happen. Um, they they destroyed everything basically. Right, right. And then they sat back, and within a day, they realized that people were coming in and using using extortion, using violence, and they had to start imposing a you know some sort of quasi rule of law, which of course was not just; it was unjust yes. or unjust and. And, and yes, the evidence is it has exactly the opposite effect of what it claims to be, because um, we, we have to we have to give people freedom and trust in God. Um, and the problem is that um, the instinct I'm going to suggest is that uh, what I want is I don't want, I don't just want freedom for myself. I want I want. The, the, the government, or I want God, shall we say, yeah. to make other people do what's right as well. You know, yes. I didn't want to, and God won't do it, it seems. So let's get the government in there. Yeah, um, yeah. so we will become God. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and this, this notion of we will divinize the social movement, we will divinize the ideology, mm. uh, we will usurp and demand the homage that no, you that, that is, should only be given to God. We will demand that 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 be given to our movement. Mm. And if you don't adhere to the movement, then there is severe penalties. Yeah, this is the movement we're finding, and and we see this yes. growing more and more as the West abandons its Christian roots. Uh, the yes. fact that these group, these organizations, these movements can find such acceptance, prominent, widespread acceptance, uh, is a real indication of how far we have gone from real religion where suddenly we are simply worshiping ourselves and and we can you know society will even look at these movements and say well that makes sense no it doesn't <laughs> that, <that's, laughs> yeah. that does not make sense yeah. right so and yet we find that and, and, and all this uh i would argue is when that social activism uh, becomes religion like yeah it, it, you know all the tenets all the expectations all the ceremonies that we would normally attribute to religion are imposed by these movements and expected, and if not adhered to, then there are penalties, there are sufferings. Yeah. Uh, I, I met someone recently who uh, had always had a respect for the right to life. She, uh, she had um, actually uh, gone through a conversion, <laughs> I would say. Um, mm, but for a long time, it felt she was Catholic, um, but had been a radical environmentalist. And what she said was that environmentalism in the minds of the, the left trumps 
the right to life, if I can use that phrase, because oh. environmentalism um, speaks to the peril of the whole human race, whereas the right to life is just um, the unborn child, which is a smaller group of people. And right. so this, this was what she said, why she always, even though she felt passionate about the right to life as well, she felt that she was in a position where she had to vote for the left because she believed in, uh, in the, the form of environmentalism again, which assumes that man can, can actually control this. And, yes. I, and, and I, I have to say, I believe wrongly attributes a, a fault, a flaw, which isn't really there to him. And basically it just says we're responsible for everything and we can control everything. Right. Um, and uh, again, looking to the government. So, and the wonderful thing about it, the environment, it has to be global government. So this even goes beyond right. nations. Yes. It will be the United Nations. And this is what we're heading towards, I think. Yes, yes. Reasons. Yes, very much. And you can see that, you know, the, 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 the role of reason or reason thought is oftentimes lost because for the person who says, well, the environment is more important because it, it affects the entire planet as opposed mm. to, you know, abortion, which is just, you know, these few uh, children or so on. You know, they forget the, the point that if one person, one single person's dignity is violated, right, and it's justified and it's legislated and it becomes the norm, then mm. no one has dignity, Right. So you can make no argument for a greater good like the environment if you are going to consent or be an accomplice to the violation of one person's dignity and allow that to become some type of norm. Right. So even this, the, the, the processing of, of reason is, is lost. And that, that's what happens. Like we know that when God is not first, uh, you know, in theology, we say the intellect is darkened. In popular jargon, we could say, we get stupid, right? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we just start thinking two plus two is three and, and we legislate that and we impose that and we shame people who will, who will disagree with that. And we start thinking that that's, that's normal. And we begin to forget that no, two plus two is four, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there, there is a reality that we cannot control. And if we keep battling against this reality, we are simply dooming ourselves to misery. Like peace is the tranquility of order, right? Yeah. <laughs> Acknowledge there's a world outside of us. There's a God that I'm called to worship. And if I want peace, then I have to comply. I have to be a part of this greater network of existence that surrounds me. Yes. And I suppose what you're saying, people would characterize what we're, you know, we're, we're saying. I think we're in agreement. Um, is that we're saying therefore the environment doesn't matter that's not that no. that's not that at all what no. we're saying is that um we have to understand that god has a part to play in this we, yes. and that ultimately it is not we cannot justify depriving somebody of their basic freedoms yes. in order to take control of what we believe is this is this, this parent and yes. and because and because ultimately it is the freedom which allows each person to relate to God. And it is through that that we will find the answer, if that's what God's wishes to provide, Absolutely. to the, the environmental problem, whatever it may be, yes. if it exists. Yes, yes. And to imagine uh, people who have that freedom, who have placed God first, and then who care about the environment, 
as an act of stewardship rather than a reaction of fear. Mm. Right? I think that the environmental movement will be far more effective by those who have that freedom, who have placed God first and understand authentically our call to be good stewards of the earth created yes. by God and entrusted to our care. So as we made the point earlier, is if, if you just understand the Christian message, you're going to get even better than what yeah. you want, right? Yes. But but God must be first. We, we can't cut out God and expect to get the results of, of worshiping him. And the answer is not less people, but more people, because the mm -hmm. more people we have as part of the church, the more people we have in relation with each other, in, in participating in God's love, the more um, God is informing what we do collectively and individually, and the greater chance we have of actually meeting the dangers, you know, actually overcoming whatever lies in the future. Yes. Paradoxically, I mean, that, that's the problem. It, it's a, apparently <laughs> all your instincts say it's the opposite. We've got to reduce mm. the numbers. We're, we're the problem. But it, it isn't does. at all. It, 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 it's this belief in human freedom and human life in relation to God that, that, um, that, that is going to give us the answers to these things, I, I believe. Yeah. I can't tell you what those answers are, of course, but right. I, I know that God will show us, I believe. Um, yes, yes. yes. we can see that. I was just saying we can see that point. Uh, for example, if we read, uh, were to read Acts of the Apostles, mm. uh, every time the apostles proclaim the gospel in, in a particular region, especially we see this in Acts chapter 17, the reaction, especially from the Greek thinkers, the, the Greek culture, was uh, what is this message that is turning our world upside down, right? Because they clearly understood. Wait a minute, if this message, if, if this really is, is, is the new theology, right? This, this is now uh, the, the one true God, you know, if, if this message is, is true, then it changes everything, right? And, and, and that effect of the gospel still continues in our, in our own day. When we turn to God and we worship him and, and we seek to know him and, and we're willing to, to you know, have that movement outside of ourselves, then our world is turned upside down. Everything we thought could be accomplished this way is oftentimes accomplished the exact opposite, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, well, we're going to cut God out and just care about the environment. And if some children are lost along the way through abortion, well, that's just a necessary evil. And we got to keep going, right? Well, in the end, you don't save the environment. You, you have slaughtered the unborn and you have ignored God and you have lost your humanity and you're miserable, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. But the other opposite is, well, turn that now upside down. It's now we have to care for the little ones, care for the vulnerable and the weak. And not only do we care for them and protect them, but we also now have a greater understanding of the environment. We have God's blessings and we're living happy lives. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so it's turned everything upside down where honestly, as fallen human beings, we can think, huh, how would I fix that? And then do the opposite. Right? <laughs> you know? So it's an exaggeration, but it helps illustrate the yes. point that, yeah. you know, the gospel and right worship, real religion turns everything upside down. Right. Okay. That's, that's terrific. Um, I'm going to let you just conclude just, uh, just for those, um, a, a reminder, those who are listening, uh, this book is real religion. How to evolve, Avoid False Faith and Worship God in Spirit and Truth by Father Jeffrey Kirby. It's published by Catholic Answers Press and most certainly recommended. Um, so, Father, again, just summarize this and perhaps finish with the conclusions that you draw in the book, just for the people who are listening now. 
Yes, I think if I if I summarize the book best, I, I would say that it shows how immensely loved we all are by God, that he has revealed himself to us, has called us to himself, has shown us how to worship him. We add nothing to his greatness when we worship. Uh, when we worship him, we simply are fulfilling our own human vocation, understanding the joy and the liberty and the creativity we have as the children of God. And the book seeks to help us understand that right worship, that real religion, so that we can receive these blessings that God desires to give us. And at the end of the day, if we settle for less, so we settle for incomplete versions of real religion, uh, we introduce aspects or um, uh, areas of, of misery and disappointment, uh, meaninglessness. So we are the children of God, and, and our task is to turn to him and receive these blessings. So that would be a quick summary of the book. Yes, and the pinnacle of that is the worship of God. It's in the Mass and, and the liturgy. Amen. Yes. Yeah, that's what, what we're made for. Wonderful. Father Jeffrey Kirby, thank you very much indeed for uh, for our discussion today. My pleasure. God bless you. Thank you.